The Startup Executive is a podcast designed to help you become a well-rounded startup executive. The best executives have a good understanding of all aspects of the business. Join us each week to learn from a new go-to-market leader on what is important in their department and what it takes to become an effective startup executive. Today is the last episode on season one of The Startup Executive and a great way, a great guy to end off on. This week, we've got Joe Jordan, and Joe is currently the Chief Revenue Officer at Ship Sigma. And Joe's someone who is super passionate about helping people and companies reach their full potential. He's had experience in startups, the SMB sector, and a global multi-billion dollar organization. But like I said, now he's focused on a, a fast-growing cost reduction firm that's located in the Midwest, that focused on helping high volume shippers save on their small parcel without changing anything operationally. So I'll go ahead and drop a link to where you can learn more about Ship Sigma, and that'll be in the show notes. And yeah, I'm looking forward to getting into this. Thanks for coming on, Joe. It's good to be here, Grayson. Yeah, I know you and I have talked a couple of times, but as I was doing some prep for this episode, uh, looking into your background a little bit, there's a couple of things that stood out uh, that we haven't talked about before. So I'm interested in diving into a couple of things with you today, but I'd love to just get a, an overview of your background, kind of why you're talking about your background. I'd love to know how you got to Indy and, and what's kept you here. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, so my background, pretty simple. I grew up in Alabama, went to a school called University of North Alabama. My background has been sales. From North Alabama, I was in a marketing degree, and I moved to Nashville, Tennessee to be a singer-songwriter. See, there's a guitar in the background here. When I moved to Nashville for that purpose, but at the same time, I had to find a job that would you know, pay the bills. And so I found, a, I found an opportunity to work for a logistics company going into a, an account executive role and did that for a while and really enjoyed the sales activity. And that led me to a business development role in Indianapolis, or sorry, in Nashville, Tennessee, that eventually brought me to Indy. So came to Indianapolis through Nashville, Tennessee, working a business development group and took it over in, in Indy. And we had some amazing, amazing results, which then uh, allowed me some of the opportunities that I have today. And as I've built out some relationships and ultimately, Grayson, that's what's kept me here is relationships, yeah. the connectivity I have to the city, to incredible business owners and leaders here has kept me here. It hasn't necessarily been the weather. Yeah. Has been the <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. We'll dive into some of those relationships and stuff a little bit later on in the episode. What I'm interested in, so that very first sales job that you had, you said that you enjoyed it. What, what do you think like stood out to you as your very first sales job? Yeah. So first sales job, I mean, I think I was just somewhat green as it relates to just business and, and, and just trying to understand what I should do. And and so I think the, the freshness, the newness of it got me excited. I mean, I was right out of college trying to you know find my way. So that was the first thing that was exciting was, like, hey, I have a real job now. Yeah. I think the other pieces that made me really, you know, kind of it made it fun and exciting for me is the chase. Yeah. I've always enjoyed the chase, whether you know, whatever the chase may be. But you know, the idea of knocking on you know thirty doors during the day or early early in the morning, making thirty phone calls, knocking on doors, you know, thirty or so during the day, and then coming back and making phone calls, and you know, chasing down these folks to get a decision. I don't know. There's something about that that's you know kind of exhilarating. So yeah. uh, early on, that was the first thing. Do you think that's interesting? Because I've met a lot of salespeople, and some of them are you know so and so about the chase, but some of them clearly like you, like really love it. Like, do you think that can be learned, or do you think that was just something that was sort of natural for you in terms of that just mindset needed to be successful in sales? 
I think, I don't know if you can learn it. I think it's, I think it's something deep within. I think it's probably some type of DNA that's inside your body. <laughs> you either like the chase or you don't. I think yeah. that, you know, I think the understanding of whether or not how to take a no or unwire your brain and, and think a different way about some things mm. and understanding why that's important or why that matters and really ch- kind of changing the wires in your brain. I think you can do that, but deep down in your core, it's hard to change the, you know, your, your state of mind is the chase. I think you yeah. have that or you don't. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we could do a whole episode just about that specifically. But one of the things I wanted to talk about, so that very first couple of years that you had in that account executive role, what kind of exposure did you get to leadership? And kind of what did you get while you were still like in that individual contributor role? Yeah, I, you know, I, I had some direct connectivity to leadership just because of the size of the business that I was working for. You know, you're looking small to medium sized business. So you you have access to you know, upper management and to, you know, the executives, whether that's an owner or CEO, that's one. So I had direct internal access to the executive team, but, you know, I also was, it was who I was selling to. So I was selling to a lot of C-suite and CFOs and executives of companies. And so through that process, I think that gave me other visibility to other leaders that are out there outside of what was happening internally in the team. I would say, you know, early on in my career, I had pretty good access to leaders. Yeah, that's awesome. And so was it something about like just that access to the leaders or did you have a particularly like helpful, you know, boss or leader or mentor that made you realize that you wanted to go into more of a sales leadership your role or sales leadership role yourself? Or how did you come to that realization? Yeah, you know, I, I think, you know, it was probably, you know, I, I'm a product of a lot of different people, but I would say early on, you know, the CEO of my first job, the first company I was involved in, he was actively involved in the business. He was a sales leader Hmm. and he happened to run all the functions of the business, but it's really great to have, you know, if you have an executive or, you know, a C-suite individual who's also got that chase in them, the Hmm. hunt, that gets you excited. And especially when you have that inside of you. So I think that there's some alignment that took place. And through that, if you have someone that has that in them, they're actively engaged. So it wasn't as much me having to engage leadership as much as leadership was engaging me. Mm-hmm. And I think that got me excited to see, you know, hey, these leaders are pouring into someone like myself and trying to make me better. Yeah. And so I think, you know, early on, you start planting those seeds in someone like me. And it says, you know, hey, one day, Joe, you can help do this. You can help team members grow and get better and reach their full potential. So I think early on that helped. Yeah. So kind of planting the seeds. Yeah. From, from early on, that's awesome. And then uh, one of the, the very first companies, um, that you you spent like a, a significant like four plus years at was a company called Accelerant, correct? Yeah, yeah, Accelerant. Yeah, I'd just love some background on you know what they do and uh, how you got involved there. Yeah, so I I met Accelerant after my I had a couple of you know, sales opportunities as you know selling into small to mid sized companies and I thought what's the next path for me? What what can I do next? And this next uh, the company that I found was Accelerant. They found me in Nashville, Tennessee. They found me as more of a, I would say more of a, I don't want to say account manager, but my, my role was, you know, uh, I was an RVP of partner services. And so the background of this company is they're a business development platform. They operate in six different cities across the United States. They go after tier, you know, two or tier B or tier C type cities. These are smaller type cities with, you know, a million to, you know, maybe 5 million in population, if that, right? So mm-hmm. a smaller type of a, a city, not too, super small, but, you know, Think uh, think NFL team mm-hmm. type of a city, and so the idea is you take you know sixty non competing businesses that are in their own unique categories, and you bring their executive team together with their their sales team, 
and you focus on building trusted relationships where there's non-competing categories so you can you feel safe to make a referral so you're not giving it up to a competitor. And my job was to bring together these group of executives in meetings and bring together their producers in meetings to build trust and to facilitate conversation and then ultimately to drive referrals. And so I learned a lot running point there in Nashville and so much so that we had tremendous retention. We had an amazing, you know, amazing couple of years while I was there. And that gave me the opportunity from that kind of an account manager type role, helping the the group, give me the opportunity to come to, to Indianapolis and run the regional president role. Nice. And so four years, good amount of time. What made you stay so long or kind of what do you think they did well that just kind of made it natural to stay there? Yeah, I mean, they gave me opportunities. So I think that that's one. They gave me an opportunity to go from that kind of the regional uh, VP role to the regional president role. VP role is more of account management. Let's take care of the customers we have. The president role is more, let's go and hunt and go find new ones. Yeah. And the beauty of that is I was able to really learn the operations and, and how the business worked really well to then go out and sell it. It's a big deal for me. So they taught me they, and they put their arms around me to make sure that I was you know stable. And then they gave me an opportunity to be successful. But I think the other thing too, is I love what I did. Mm-hmm. Um, it was an amazing time in my life where I was able to build amazing relationships. I would not be where I'm at from a connectivity standpoint here in Indianapolis without that opportunity to meet some amazing people. Uh, so it just, it, it set me up for, for success. And, you know, mentioned earlier, you know, access, you know, I work directly with the CEO and president of, of Accelerant and they have tremendous experience and different leadership styles and different principles, but at the core of them, it was that chase. It yeah. was that hunt. It was that, you know, strive for excellence that, that I saw in them that kept me there. So there's a few thoughts there. Yeah, no, no, that makes sense. And then like, so as you're, you're going on this process, so you're coming in, you know, fresh out of college learning how to sell and then eventually becoming more of a, like a leader type role. What was the most impactful or effective way that, that really helped you learn and improve as an individual salesperson, but then again, growing into more of that leadership role? What were some of the ways that you just improved? Yeah, I, I think ultimately doing right. So, um, you know, I think the way I improved it from a, just an individual contributor role is I would get told no. And I would have to react to that no, I mean, I would have to find a way to overcome, you know, an, either either overcome and get it to a yes, or be able to understand it enough to be able to then go get a yes. Or ultimately, I think it was just the process of doing that helped me grow. And you know, that's one from an individual contributor role. You know, from just an overall like like what helped me move into a, more of a leadership role is understanding the value of connectivity and understanding how to help others get what they want, you know, without expecting anything in return. That helped me understand kind of the leadership principles through my, you know, kind of through my day to day. And was that like a specific moment where it just clicked or how did you kind of realize that, you know, relationships are are really what is key in like a successful sales career and just in life in general? Yeah, you know, I when, when I first started out, I thought that I was trained, you know, hey, let's go knock on doors. Let's go make phone calls. Let's go create action by activity. And there's something to be said with that. You know, with action there's there, there there's something that, that can happen on the back end, right? But that was what I always thought you did. You made a lot of calls and you created action from those calls you made. But then through time I learned, hey, you could there's an art of a referral, meaning you get a customer and you do a good job and then they can refer you to a new business. And I thought there was value there. But then when I went into the Accelerant model in Nashville, I really understood the value of connectivity and the power of multiplication, because then it's not as much about the customers that you have relationships with. It's about 
every contact you come into conversation with, if you do what you say you're going to do and you follow true to your core values and those core values resonate with the other people, then you can really, you know, multiply your return. And so, you know, I think it was, you know, a series of really three things that I figured out. It wasn't like one point of time, but I think it was a series of, of things that took place. You know, I still think that you have to make calls. You have to send out messages, mm-hmm. cold outreach, because there are people out there that don't know who you are and they need to hear about you. Mm-hmm. Then I think that there's your customers who can make good referrals and be a reference for you and be a good testimonial to drive business your way. But then it took me, you know, the opportunity with Accelerant in Nashville and then coming here, that was another pivotal moment where I had to understand, hey, listen, it goes even beyond that. It's more about everyone you come into you know, contact with, you know, helping everyone get to the, where they need to go without anything in return. And then I watch, I watch that now just pay dividends like over and over more so than just the activity. Activity okay. is important, especially when you're first starting out, mm-hmm. but the, um, Helping others is is ultimately where everything comes back. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I love that. And so sticking with this same line of conversation, what are some of those things that when you moved into that or yeah, when you moved into that first leadership role, what were some of the things that you struggled with um, being like a first time sales leader? Not being an expert in every, you know, in the specific industry itself and others, you know, there's other people on the team that are not just older than you with, as it relates to age, mm. but also as it relates to experience. And so that can create a little bit of self doubt or a little bit of self, you know, like I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure. Mm. I'm not sure if I'm this guy um, for this role. Um, so I think, you know, one was being, you know, confident in myself. I think I, I could see that if I look back in time and saying, Oh man, I'm taking this, this, this pretty decent size opportunity. And uh, I had to have others believe in me and me see that and then see myself in through their eyes I think the challenge was, you know, lack of experience in a leadership role. That was tough. I think, you know, if you look at, you know, leading people, I, one of the hardest things I think that uh, that I've come across is, you know, balancing, you know, the emotional piece with the logical piece in leading someone, letting letting someone know mm-hmm. that they're not hitting the excellence bar, but also knowing that, you know, they have a, you know, a sick kid at home, right? You yeah. got to, you got to understand that balance. Yeah. Um, and I, I would say that's probably one of the harder balances to, to, to work with. Sure. Yeah. Um, but for me, I think early starting out, it was probably that piece as well as, you know, people on your team having more experience in that area than you do. Yeah. And would you like, how would you like categorize yourself? Like, were you more on that, you know, like rational, like hardcore, or were you more of that like empathetic, like what was just like your personality going into being a leader? Yeah, probably empathetic, you know, right? Yeah. So I, uh, and probably a lot more than I should have been, right? I probably should have pushed more on that, the logical side and saying, hey, you got to get your, get this stuff done and hold people accountable. Mm. But it, that took a little bit of time. And there's some yeah. processes and things that I've read and leaders that I've leaned into that have taught me, you know, how to do that, that be more effective there. Mm-hmm. And ultimately it's not, and, and, and also there's some, some things in, inside of my own head that I had to work through to say, hey, listen, you know, you got to hold yourself accountable here. You got to strive for excellence. And I think yeah. if you look for people with the similar core values and that are striving for excellence, that don't make excuses, they're probably going to hold themselves more accountable than you could ever hold them. I would say, you know, probably that. Yeah. Hopefully that answered your question. Yeah, no. And that's interesting. It, it kind of triggered another question that I'd love to get your perspective on when you are, are going out and doing things like hiring and growing your sales team. What are some of those things that you're looking for? You already mentioned one, but would love to to get like the full picture. 
Yeah, I mean, I always go back to you know core values. I mean, you know, at Chip Sigma, we have our company core value that we hold as the standard of who we're looking for coming on the team, and mm-hmm. important for the team members before they arrive to understand what we're looking for and what you know the drum in which we beat as a company. Because if you come here and you don't have those same core values, and you may not fit, and you're going to know it <laughs> when you arrive. And so yeah. we look for similar core values in our people. We look for skills that that are important for one to have in that role. Um, and you know, we don't look for someone who, you know, listen, you don't have to have all the skills, you know, some mm-hmm. skills can be developed and like, values what, are yeah, what skills, for example, or like, how do you test yeah. for that? I'd love to. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of skills come with, you know, experience. And so, uh, there's a series of different skills one would need in, in order to have, you know, a, you know, to be in a sales role. Uh, one of those skills would be, you know, prospecting. Well, if you've never prospected before, well, then you're going to have to learn that skill or let's mm-hmm. see if you currently have that skill. If you're coming right out of college, I don't know if you have that skill. Maybe you do, but prospecting. If you're going to go into sales, you need to be able to have some type of prospecting skills. Mm-hmm. Number two, you have to have some type of presentation skills. It's going to be important, whether that's a, you know, the world's changed some, so you have to be able to present via, you know, screen share. You know, that's important these days. And so presentation skills, closing skills, you know, maybe some techniques in which you have to close. Follow-up skills. I mean, do you know how to follow up effectively? Uh, do you know how to pipeline management? You know, do you know how to put someone in a pipeline and follow the process? And because, you know, a lot of this is process driven, you know, you put them in a pipeline, you follow up appropriately. So there's a series of different skills and one doesn't have to have all those skills in order to be in sales. Over time, you do, you need to develop those skills. Mm-hmm. But if you have a couple of those skills and go learn the other skills, you can always grow and develop and get better. But to join a team like ours, I mean, we look for the core values first. Mm-hmm. We then look at the skills. Uh, okay. And then the skills that you have, if you have five out of 10, well, what are the five you don't have? And can those be developed? Mm-hmm. And do you have a hunger and a drive to go get those skills? Mm-hmm. And if you do, then that's a conversation that one would want to have, right? Because yeah. we can help you develop those skills. Yeah. Cool. No, I, I love that. And so this kind of plays into a similar line of questioning, but what do you, what do you enjoy most about being like in a, a sales or revenue leadership role? Well, first I, you know, I, well, there's a, I don't want to put them in any specific order, but I, I would say the challenge, you know, it's, it's not easy to have to, you know, anyone out there in the world that's doing revenue generation or sales, it's not easy or everyone would be doing it. It's a, <laughs> And if you actually ask most businesses where they struggle the most, it's in generating revenue. And mm-hmm. so, I would say that the challenge is fun for me. Yeah. Number two, there's something about helping other people reach their full potential yeah. that's more rewarding than anything that you know that I personally could do for myself. Helping others is just a lot more fun. It's kind of like you know, you know, I know we're approaching you know really the Christmas you know time here, and it's you know it's a matter of like getting a gift and giving a mm-hmm. gift. Being able to give is a lot more fun than receiving. So going from, you know, a background in sales, revenue leadership, and then I I saw you went into what was titled a chief sales officer role. So I'd love to, you know, hear what exactly that entailed and if that was building on things that you had learned previously, or if that was a lot of new learning for you. Yeah, no. So yeah, that that role as a chief strategy officer, my focus was more on, it was revenue generation. It was around, you know, driving new sales, but you know, the role really encompassed much more than that. So the focus was, you know, focus point was sales, but a part of that too was, you know, customer success, making sure that we took care of our current customers. Also, we had some mergers and acquisitions. So M&A focus as well, helping us go find new opportunities as well as integration. So helping, you know, from an integration standpoint, partner with our 
you know, our senior vice president of operations as well as our CFO. So, you know, at the core of it, it was generating new business, but there was some, you know, revenue protection as well as, you know, new M&A activities. So it was really a combination of a few different buckets. Yeah. So it kind of seems like more, yeah, just like very similar to probably like a chief revenue officer in terms of activities, but maybe some additional responsibilities. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, with a strategy officer, there's there was also some focus around, you know, new product development and how, how much do we bring that to our current customer base and how do we go acquire new business based on our offerings? And so in that role, there was a little bit more of that focus to M&A and some customer, you know, some new products that we were rolling out for our customers. Yeah. That happened, you know, I would say 10 to 15% of the, you know, the overall focal point of that role. Uh, you know, it, it, in a chief strategy officer role or in a chief revenue officer role, the role is ultimately to go and get business, mm-hmm. right? And, and where, where that business comes from, if that's coming from, you know, new sales, if that's coming from your existing customer base, it's, you know, all or an acquisition, all those things are important. But, you know, 60% of the time is spent on new sales generation. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And would you say that your previous experiences, it was kind of like a next step in terms of building on the top of those previous experiences? Or was it a lot of new like things that you'd never done before? Yeah, no, I mean, there were some things I've never done before. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But I would say that, you know, some of the things I was able to learn and working at an accelerant and helping run that platform, I was able to meet, you know, hundreds of executives and CEOs and spend a lot of time with them on how they ran their business mm-hmm. and understand, you know, were some of the important dominoes that they had to put in place in order to actually build the structure for their business. So I had some early insight on what to do, what not to do. And and I had some leadership, you know, uh, growth throughout my journey before even that role at, at Accelerant. But there were some things that, and I think there's still, there, there are things today that I don't know how to do and that I'm learning how to do as I go. Yeah. But I think that ultimately along the way, there were things that prepared me yeah. and things that really you, you can't read in a book. I think you have to experience along the way. Yeah. At least that's from my perspective. That's been my kind of my world. And that's actually like an interesting point because you could maybe make a statement that, you know, once you've figured out sales at one company, you've kind of figured out how to do it at everywhere. Would you say that that has been the case for you from like a leadership perspective? Or would you say that every company has been you know, different in certain aspects where you do have to go out and learn like a, a new thing and can't just come in with more of like a prescriptive, okay, here's what we need to do type mentality. Yeah, I don't think you have. I think it's really difficult to, you know, rinse and repeat in every single role you have and bring a, you know, the exact playbook to the team. I think it's really hard to do that. In my experience has been, I've been jumping from a different, like different industries, mm-hmm. uh, different types of buyers, different ways to make decisions. But I will say that there, there are some things that remain true and that there's constant and that, you know, at the foundation of, you know, decision-making, there's a, you know, do I know, like, and trust? And I think those things are, you're going to find that throughout any sales process for the most part, unless you're running just an RFP Mm -hmm. process. But if you're actually making, getting a decision from someone where there is logic and there's emotion that's applied, then I think that no, like, and trust and verify, you know, uh, know, from a pricing perspective, but I don't think it's rinse and repeat. I think you have to get into, the role, you have to understand the business, you have to understand the characteristics of, you know, the buyer, and then be able to, you know, build your sales process around those, and then ultimately, be able to, you know, follow up appropriately. I, ultimately, at the end of the day, if you do what you say you're going to do, mm-hmm. you have a good value proposition, and you just follow your process, I think you'll be successful. But you do, you do have to cater to the 
the prospects in which you're reaching out to. Yeah. And I'm interested. So it can be kind of broken down into more of a formula, you know, follow up, you know, relationship, stuff like that. But have there ever been times where you followed the formula or you followed the sales process and it, it didn't work out? Uh, I'm sure there's been plenty of times where it didn't work out as you'd hoped. But what do you think causes that when it's like just doesn't work out? Like how does that fit into the equation of sales and and kind of the revenue engine side of things? Yeah, I mean, you know, someone once told me, you know, some will, some won't, so what, right? So I think you're going to run into that yeah. as you go. I, you know, you could have the perfect playbook, you have perfect play ready to go, and uh, and it's worked you know, 99 times. And then you get to the, you know, you get to the one yard line and there's a fumble or the clock, you know, runs out. There are moments in time that that's going to happen. I don't think it's always prescriptive. I think you can be perfect and still not get an opportunity. And I've ran into many of those, not just one. I've ran into many of those where I follow the playbook and got to know. But I've always followed the, the mindset of, you know, yeses or nos are okay to have. They're great to have, honestly. I just don't want the maybe. And I think mm-hmm. if you can find your way from a sales perspective to get rid of the maybes and just go after the yeses and nos, you'll have more clarity. And then that would allow you to execute it at the highest level. Mm-hmm. Someone once told me that if you can leave every meeting with clarity and commitment, you're going to win. Yeah. You just got to have clarity and commitment. You got to know what next steps are and you got to have people committed on what next steps are. Yeah. If you leave the meeting and you're unsure, they're unsure, it's a recipe for disaster. If you leave there knowing, hey, here's specifically what I'm going to do. Here's what you're going to do. And your heart's in the right place to serve that person, to help them yeah. get to that next decision, whether that's a yes or a no. If you just help them get to those places, if they can be a yes or a no, not the person that can just give you a no, yeah. then you can be successful. But I would tell you, my experience has been you can run the perfect play, but the defense could you know, run the perfect play too. So yeah, that's my experience. Well, so I'm interested. This yes and no concept, I've been going through some of uh, the Sandler sales training stuff myself over the past couple of weeks. And I'm interested. So how do you incorporate this? Like, yes, we need a hard yes. We need a hard no. But we also, you know, want to establish like a solid relationship with the person. And there may be someone that you'll interact with for a long period of time. Like, how do you play that line in terms of uh, like, what is maybe or like, what is no, but later? Is that like a no or? Well, so I've always found that if you set the proper expectations up front, then it's not going to get weird later on. Yeah. Right? So if you set the proper expectations and say, hey, you know what, you know, here's the reason we're here together today. And at the end of the meeting or at the end of the conversation, here's what I'm trying to accomplish. And here's yeah. what I'd like to do. Here's why it's important. Um, at the end of the meeting, listen, if we're going to be, it's a good fit and we'll move forward, help each other. Great. If yeah. it's not, that's okay too. And we'll be friends and I'll work to help you regardless. Yeah. All I ask is that we pick where we're at. I think if you say that early on, it's a lot easier to go back to it once you're at the end of the meeting or at the end of the conversation. But the person that you're talking to, they got to see that you care about the process. You care about them making a good decision. Yeah. Whether that decision is with you or with someone else, you care about that. You care about the decision, not about lining your pockets, not about yeah. um, getting more customers, but you care about helping other people get to where they want to go. If you do that well and you do a lot of it. So I mentioned earlier on activity. Mm-hmm. If you can do a lot of that and meet with the right people solely for the expectation of helping them arrive, you'll have fun doing it. Because yeah. if, if you're a no, hey, great. That's fantastic. You're a no. <laughs> Let me help you. Like, who can I introduce you to? To you know, And how do we stay in touch so that if, if something were to change, you can reach out to me? Yeah, I've always lived by that. Now, listen, there's going to be some people out there that 
they don't live by that same train of thought and they're sure. probably going to, you know, just uh, never talk to you <laughs> or, you know, uh, or have their cameras off or, you know, and that's okay. But yeah. you, you give with the expectation of not getting anything in return and it will come back around. Always does. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. A little, little sidebar question, but I appreciate your perspective on that. So I uh, want to get into what you're doing currently. So uh, let's talk a little bit about Ship Sigma and would love to just know how you got involved with them. Uh, how did you hear about this pretty small company? How did you hear about them in the first place? And how did you get involved? Yeah. So after I left my, can go back in time a little bit. Sure. I was with, uh, with Effie Moran Security Solutions. We were growing that company. We decided to exit the business. When we exited the business, we were bought by a large company called Securitas Electronic Securities. Amazing company. They're doing great things. And I was in a pretty nice role and, and it's a really great role, to be honest. And they set me up to be successful. I just didn't feel like my heart was in mm. big business, big, big company. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, I, I'm going to find out what's next in my life. Uh, so I stayed on there for a little bit just to help set the team up for success. When I left there, I really had to think through and I couldn't really land on what I wanted to do until I met Ship Sigma. Hmm. I met Ship Sigma through relationships. That's how, yeah. I, how I met him. And that's how I met Effie Moran was through relationships. Um, met him through an introduction and then I had an executive dinner. We put together a dinner and again, bringing people together, not for anything, just to bring great people together and got to hear their story more in depth and said, hey, this is something that I could get behind. I can get behind helping people put savings back in their budget. I can get behind a small team that's nimble and wanting to, to, to run really fast and have that chase for excellence. Yeah. And so I can get behind a few of those uh, things. And we have two co-founders in the business that are great visionaries and they know where they want to go. And I want to help them get to where they want to go. And we got an amazing team. So I got to them through a relationship and I'm staying with them because of the the frame of mind that they have. Mm-hmm. And ultimately because we're trying to help our people and we're trying to help companies unlock value. And I'm, I'm all about that. Yeah. So that's uh, awesome. And then continue on just like the pitch for ship Sigma. What exactly do you guys do? What do you help with? Who do you help? Sure. We are a cost reduction firm. We focus specifically on small parcel. So companies that are shipping currently with a FedEx or a UPS and they're spending between $1 million and $100 million a year with those carriers, we can help them reduce their costs without changing anything operationally in their business. What we do is we have a unique technology where we can look at their raw invoice data with the carriers. We can then tell them within 24 hours exactly where they could be saving with going and getting a new agreement, re-engineering a new agreement. And then every week, every single week, what we do is we we're able to validate, verify, monitor the savings amount with the carrier and with their invoice. And so we're auditing that on a regular basis to make sure they're getting best in class pricing. We're able to do that because we have two things. We're not better negotiators. We're not better engineers than our customers. We have two things that separate us. One, we have proprietary technology that we've invested heavily in uh, that gives us the ability to see shipping characteristics. Um, And then number two, we see live market data. So we see over a billion dollars of live market data so we know what someone's neighbors are paying, you know, across the entire spectrum. So we can we can look at, you know, best in class, you know, standards in specific industries and based on certain shipping characteristics. So on average, we're saving our customers 25.2% cost reduction across the board. We only get paid if we save. So we are performance-based. Our customers don't pay us unless they, you know, put dollars back into their budget. 
and we're paid a percentage of the savings in which we find. And then we surround that, all that savings with all the other value pieces from reports and analytics and our, uh, our, our BI team and our contract engineering team and our customer success group. And we just shower our customers with as much value as possible to keep them around long term and and then just put money back in their pockets. That's what yeah. we try to do. Yeah, I remember when I first heard about it. I love those types of businesses where the pitch is essentially, hey, we can save you, you know, 25% off the millions that you're spending every year. That's a pretty great value prop. So, well, I'm interested. So when uh, Ship Sigma was going out looking for a you know, chief revenue or sales leader, what did they think that they needed you to do when you joined versus what you ultimately identified that you needed to do? Like, what was the disconnect? Yeah, I'm just interested in like that first couple months as a, a CRO at a, at a new startup, essentially. Yeah, I think ultimately what they what they needed and what they were looking for was someone who could help them fill the pipeline with the current sales team that was there and make it repeatable mm-hmm. and predictable. And I think that that still holds true, repeatable, predictable sales, uh, and then repeatable, predictable revenue. I think that, that still holds true. However, I think early on, what they were expecting was someone just to come into the business and really just be a sales and kind of a marketing leader and just lead that function. Um, but, you know, I think we all kind of benefited in my, my past experience. I mentioned earlier, I had a few different hats from a retention standpoint, as well as an M&A. And uh, so that allowed me to you know, kind of play in the finance world a little bit and work closely with the CFO and work closely with operations and then work closely with a lot of leaders with my accelerant background. So mm-hmm. partnerships. And so I was able to come into the business and, and do a little bit more than just, you know, the sales and marketing function. And so by nature of that, we've been able to lift a little bit in some other areas. And so what we're doing now is, you know, at CRO, I'm, I'm focused on, you know, customer success. Very important that we keep our customers. It's more expensive to go, you know, get customers than it is, you know, to lose them. So we, we're keeping our customers. You know, number two is marketing and sales that comes naturally. I mean, you just help others get what they want. You know, you just keep, keep helping them. That's not difficult. There's some things we're, we're doing over there to really scale it up. The other piece I think that we're finding benefit in is new revenue creation. I think that's some benefit that the company's got because not just because I'm here, it's just because I'm bringing some other thoughts to the group and mm-hmm. the other teams, you bring in thoughts and they create thoughts and then you all rise. Yeah. So we're going to create new revenue streams. Can you make our business more profitable and grow, you know, more top line revenue. So I think new revenue streams is something that I think that they wanted. Didn't know that, you know, someone like myself could help bring that to the table. I'm bringing some of that to the table. Um, and ultimately, I think those revenue streams, it's just going to be helpful to our current customer base. Yeah. So you have to have someone that can see like that full picture of, you know, how do you help the customers? How do you get new customers? How do you market it? How do you, um, you know, what does it mean from a profitability standpoint? You know, all those pieces. And I think I was able to bring some of that to the table. Yeah, I love that. And how would you say that, you know, what you're doing now varies from what you've done in the past in terms of you did have some more medium sized companies, but then going into more of like a larger, bigger company perspective, like how are things different and how are things similar from like a sales and like a building an organization perspective? Yeah. I mean, this is an entrepreneurial type company. You know, we're still building out systems and processes and elevating our team. Um, you know, the differences you, you, that I found in businesses, I've been to a medium sized business, I've been to a really large business, I've been in a small business. And uh, the benefit you have is, you know, sometimes you have to be, you know, you know, executive coach, player, you have to wear multiple hats. You know, what I'm seeing now is I enjoy, I enjoy getting in the trenches with my team. I enjoy mm-hmm. helping fight the battle that needs to fight. 
I want to be on sales calls. I want to be on customer calls. I think that, you know, my mantra has always been, you know, I want to lead from the front. Like it's, it's, I want my team to know that I'm willing to be in the battle. Yeah. And honestly, I love it. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, in this, in a smaller type company, entrepreneurial type company, that is a key difference that you're in kind of in the, in the fight, rather than trying to work from a tower. And not that I ever was that, but I think it's challenging for some leaders to not to work from the tower because you have to work from a tower sometimes to be able to put together the strategy and the vision and actually help others execute it mm-hmm. uh, because of the nature of you know the, the size of the business. I'm in a position now where I'm able to kind of go back and forth uh, yeah. as we build a team. And you know our business model is such that we don't have to have hundreds of companies that come on as customers every month. We want the right companies joining us and partnering with us. And so it gives me the ability to be player coach and executive at times. But I would say that that's, you know, what's cool about being a part of a smaller company is you got that speed, speedboat. You're not working, you know, with the Titanic and it's going to take you (laughs) six months to get a decision. You know, we can make a decision here in 15 minutes. Let's just, let's go fast. Yeah. We'll make, you know, mistakes along the way. That's okay. That's what's fun about working inside of a company like this. Yeah. We make, we can get better. So hopefully that answers your question, but ultimately it's those things. Yeah. And thinking forward, I know you said taking on a couple customers a year, but eventually over time, you know, responsibilities grow, team gets built out. How do you think that your responsibilities will change in the future as your team continues to scale? I hope parts of my my role does change. That just shows, you know, hopefully good leadership and good development of our team. We're working through that uh, and, and transitioning some of you know, some responsibilities over to our VPSL so he can take on more activities that, that I'm running. But there's some things that I want to I want to continue to have. Like I don't want to be disconnected from our customers. I don't want to be disconnected from our uh, from our team members. I don't want to be disconnected from our sales process and our you know our efforts there because that you know honestly it gives me energy. It gives me you know yeah. I, I get pumped up when I'm on a customer call and I can see you know how hard our team's working. Like those things are fun for me. But there are those proud papa moments, if you will, that you want to have, right? Where you're able to put together a, a call with your team members and you've been putting this call together over time and leading them. And then you show up on the call and you're just quiet and you let someone else run it. And you see it go really well. And you're just like, that's the team. Like, yeah. I just, I guess it back. So, I, you know, I say, like, what is, what is my role like over time? I don't know. I hope it doesn't change too much. I mean, there's some things that I think I can lift and help. I think there's going to be some newer responsibilities as we grow the company and go from a $10 million company to a $17 million company to a $35 million company, there will be some changes. Uh, but at the end of the day, I never see myself getting out of the date, like a customer meeting or for a prospect meeting. I can't be on all of them. Yeah. But this guy can't get out of it. I can't, I can't be out of all of them. Yep. Crazy. <laughs> And so I'm interested though, that, uh, the coaching perspective, I talked with, um, another kind of senior director of sales and he indicated that coaching really stood out to him as one of his most important responsibilities for his team. And I know you recently, your VP of sales been a couple months now, two or three, mm-hmm. uh, how, how have yeah. you kind of developed from a coaching perspective? Like when you talk about prepping them for that call, like what are those things and, and how are you working through on the actual coaching side, uh, developing your team? Yeah, no, that's great. I, you know, I think, you know, it's really helpful if you're a coach to have a good player, like it's, mm. it's really important. And, and when I say good player, you know, I don't want the, the fancy guy that, you know, thinks he's got everything put together and he can, mm. he's got it. I got it figured out. I want the one that's like, I, 
I'm humble. I'm humble and hungry and smart. Like I want those guys. And, yeah. and lucky for us, we, we have one of those guys on our team. Yeah. And so early on, like the way that I've coached and I, I will always coach is, you know, what I, uh, what I've done is I lead, I, I say, Hey, I'm going to run these calls. You join me. And I'll run the call from beginning to end. And then the next move will be, Hey, listen, you're going to run a couple of these slides or you're going to run a portion of the meeting. And then we'll go back and we'll, we'll have a debrief right after that and a 30 minute debrief to go over things that, that he thought he did well, things that I may make some recommendations on. And then we do it over and over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, we have, you know, basically a 90 day period in which that's what we do over and over. And then we have these check-ins where I'll pop in on certain calls and give him feedback, but we built the most important thing that you have to have inside of coaching is you have to have trust. Mm-hmm. And so you can say things that, you know, may be painful, yeah. but not painful when you have trust. They're like, yeah, you're right, Joe. Like, thanks for telling me that because yeah. no one else is going to tell me that. Yeah. So I think ultimately that's really it. Yeah. No, I love that. I want to end off on, uh, so I, I told you a little bit about the purpose of the podcast, but one of the the purposes is for those people who are in you know individual contributor roles, or maybe they're just in out, starting out in sales leadership, uh, talking about growing and progressing in their career. So what are some of those things that when you're having a conversation with someone, maybe it's your new VP of sales, or maybe it's someone at a former company that you worked at, what types of things are coming up in that conversation and, and what, what are the things that you're pushing them for? And what are the things that you're kind of like letting them take a stab at themselves? Yeah. So I, I would say one, like if, you know, my goal, and I don't do the best job possible, but I try, my goal is to be proactive and go to the team and have those conversations and say, Hey, how do we help you reach your full potential? That's what we should be doing as a leader. Hopefully other people have leaders that are doing that. They're a leader on their team. However, if they're not, and you're on the team, you know, proactively reaching out to your leader, asking, hey, I want to reach my full potential. Um, can you point out areas in which I can grow? But in order to do that, you have to you have to draw a line. If you don't have a leader that can help you draw the line, you got to be able to draw a line of where you are now and where you'd like to go at least three to five years out. Draw the line. Where do you want to go? Where do you want to be? And if you don't know that, you got to figure it out. So you got to you got to invest time to understand wh- what your trajectory is and, and where you want to go and be able to outline well, what are the steps that I need to go uh, what are the things I need to do to be able to arrive? And ultimately, set your side, set your sights out on someone who's already in that position, or, and someone who's not just in that position, but they're effective in that role. And then see the steps in which they took. And so, I would say that you know, if it's a sales leadership role, well, there's some things you got to learn how to do. You got to learn how to. You can't just be the top salesperson because that's typically not the best. Top salesperson is not typically the best leader. You got to think through how do you arrive in that leadership role. And you know what I found for myself is. I surround myself with amazing people that are, you know, steps. I mentioned earlier, I'm a product of people. So I find people that are better than me and good mentors, good coaches. And I ask them, you know, I'll reach out to them with questions, uh, but I build a, I build a tribe and then have them, you know, invest in me as I invest in them. Ultimately, I think that's it. Outside of that, I would say one of the key things that I think is important that I think a lot of people miss on is not being afraid to ask others that are out there that could potentially be a mentor you know, you could reach out to someone on LinkedIn and just say, Hey, do you, I want to reach out to you for 20 minutes just to pick your brain. And then trying to turn that into a mentor relationship. Most people are fearful of it because they say, Hey, I don't know. This guy or gal may tell me, no, they may not want to be, you would be surprised at the people that would be honored to be a mentor, be a guide for someone, you know, that hasn't quite, you know, arrived at the place they want to arrive. Cause well, guess what? That person was in that role before too, most of the time. So at least I was. And so I would be honored if someone were to reach out to me and say, Hey, can you, can you put me in a direction here? 
Because ultimately, most leaders, if they're a good leader, they exist to help other people reach their full potential. Yeah. That's the reason they should exist. Yeah. So cool. No, I love that. I uh, want to end off on a couple of fun questions and then we'll, we'll call it an afternoon. All right. Fun question number one. So I know you're a big fan of looking sharp. So suits and ties, uh, cool yeah. color combinations. I'm interested if you had to choose one, what would you say your favorite uh, suit and tie, like color combo scheme? Like if you're putting together the outfit of outfits, what are you choosing? Yeah, that's an interesting question. My favorite outfit. So I love a three piece suit. Okay. It's different these days because of, uh, I think COVID changed the world in a lot of ways, but I love a good three piece suit. And so my favorite one, I love like purple stripes. I love like a pinstripe. So okay. I love a white crisp shirt with, uh, you know, the pinstripe, you know, like a purple pinstripe suit. Okay. With the best with a purple tie. I mean, that is great. <laughs> you know, I, um, it's probably my, my favorite go to. Yeah. And yeah, so that's mine. Yeah. Okay. No, I love that. What would you say your, you know, favorite sport or activity to play is? Favorite sport to play uh, is, is basketball. I, yeah. I've enjoyed it. Um, you know, it's, a, it's, it's just, uh, you know, I would, I would say, the other one would be football, but man, these guys are way bigger than me. So I, yeah. basketball is bigger than me, but they can't touch me. So I, yeah. I can, uh, basketball is my, my, my thing. Okay. And last, last fun question, pretty random, but what is your favorite fruit? Favorite fruit? Yeah. Oh, you know, this is interesting. <laughs> I love blueberries. Uh, blueberries okay. I just started, my wife started making these blueberry muffins for me. Okay. It's fantastic. Blueberry. Blueberries. That's way to go. Okay, cool. Well, we'll end it there, Joe. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Grayson. I appreciate it. Hey, guys. Your host, Grayson, here with a quick announcement. Let's stay connected. If you look down in the show notes, you'll see my LinkedIn. Feel free to send me a connection request. And when I'm not podcasting, I'm helping startups and scale-ups get the most out of their HubSpot. We've helped quite a few startups, including some of our startup executive guests. So if you know anyone who uses HubSpot and wants to learn how to unlock all of its hidden benefits, shoot me an email. My email is Grayson, that's G-R-A-Y-S-O-N, at Sonamation.com. And there may be an extra bonus if you mention the podcast. So looking forward to hear from you.